Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I knew somebody once who was uh, like me, Caucasian, preaching in a black church. And as he was rolling along, people would every once in a while say, Hallelujah, or praise God, and they'd call out, you know, from the congregation. Very interactive. <laughs> Except there was a little, it was a little unnerving because there was a guy in the back, pacing back and forth, going, Help him, Jesus, help him. <laughs> <laughs> so if any of you want to pray that this morning, I could use it. I could, I could use the help. It's Pentecost Sunday, right? So it's the Spirit, the Spirit of God, the wind of God, the breath of God. You know that in the Old Testament, it starts out that way. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and what? The Spirit of God moved over the waters, and then God said, let there be And things began to happen, right? By the way, this says happy birthday, which is the birthday of the church, right? There we go. (laughs) Yeah. You ever get these new balloons that you have to stretch them out a lot and then you get a hernia almost trying to blow them up? Well, the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for spirit is ruach and it means breath or wind. And it shows up in the second chapter of Genesis 2 when it says that the Lord breathed into his nostrils the ruach of life and man became a living being. So I want you to notice something about this. The title of this sermon is God the Verb. What are verbs? Action words. They convey action, movement. (laughs) And there you go, you got a pink balloon. I've got more. Uh, and I was going to hand these out. Maybe I will. Can you guys cooperate with me and each take a balloon, blow it up, blow it up, hold on to it. Don't do anything with it until I say go. Hand me that one back, would you? And I'm going to, you didn't want to. Yeah, it's got my slobber all over it. Help him, Jesus. Yeah, all right. Alrighty. Okay, now hold on to it and hold it above your head. And when I say one, two, three, go, then just let go. Okay, one, two, three, go. Now there's something uh, characteristic of all of those. Number one is they all moved. The breath inside them came out and they moved. They didn't just go uh, and hang there. Uh, That would be contrary to the laws of physics, but it's also contrary to the laws of our God (laughs) when he fills people with the Spirit. They move. And you notice, secondly, that they all move away from themselves. Where did these balloons end up? Out here, 
back a couple rows, <laughs> but they moved way over there. So they moved away from ourselves. What did we just hear you say that we try to love others on our own, but for our own purposes, really for our own self-advantage. But when we're filled with the Spirit, we love others for God's sake, for God's sake, the best that God has for them. So the, the, I want you to notice those two things, first movement and then away from self, away from self, the Spirit of God. Let's take a deeper dive into the Pentecost Scriptures. Would you please put Acts 1 up there? When the day of Pentecost came, now let's stop there for a minute and say Pentecost is actually, way before it was a Christian observance, one of the three great Christian festivals, beginning with the, the nativity of our Lord, Christmas, and then Easter, and then Pentecost, the three great festivals of the Christian church. But way before it was a Christian festival, it was Jewish. They observed Pentecost. Not the same way we did with the same meaning, but here's what they, uh, the meaning they conferred upon Pentecost. Pentecost mean is, refers to 50 days after Passover. 50 days after Passover, and it celebrated two things. And people came from all over the Mediterranean world and the Near East to be in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was full of people, just like it would have been at Passover. First of all, it's a harvest festival, which is really strange to me living in Montana. (laughs) You know, harvest in May... Uh, early June, it uh, doesn't make any sense at all to, to us in these northern climates, but in a Mediterranean climate, much warmer, they have an early harvest and a later harvest. They have two harvest seasons, one's in the fall and one's in early spring. And, uh, and so they bring what? They bring their first fruits to the temple and dedicate them to the Lord. So it was a first fruits celebration. Now, we're going to make a connection there to the Christian life and to the gospel of Christ, so hold on to that idea of first fruits, okay? The second reason they had a Pentecost festival was called Simchat Torah. Simchat Torah refers to the giving of the law. They believed that um, from the very first Passover, which was where? Egypt. The very first Passover was Egypt and then the great exodus, the deliverance from captivity and enslavement in Egypt. And they crossed over into the wilderness and made their way to Mount Sinai and it took, they believed, 50 days for that trek. Now we know that later on they were in the wilderness for 50 years or 40 years, I mean. But 40 days or 50 days, I get my numbers mixed up, uh, 50 days from Passover, the first Passover to Sinai was 50-day trek and the giving of the law. And so they celebrated Pentecost as Simchat Torah, the giving of the law, the covenant with God given at Sinai to Moses and the people of Israel. Hold on to that thought too. 
Simchat Torah, the giving of the law, and first fruits, a harvest festival, those two things. So let's keep reading. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. You notice it says, suddenly. Jesus said as much in John chapter 3 in that famous passage about being born anew. No one can enter the kingdom of heaven unless he's born anew by water and the Spirit. The Spirit. And the Nicodemus wonders, what's that all about? Can you enter a mother's womb a second time and be born anew? And Jesus says, ah, the Spirit blows where he wills. (laughs) You don't know where he comes from or where he's going. It may come upon you suddenly when you least expect it. I get amused sometimes when people try to program the spirit, you know. These steps, follow these steps, you know. Well, if it were so easy. But we like to be in control of things, don't we? That's just part of our nature, our sinful nature, that is we like to kind of manage God even, uh, you know. So uh, I want to underline the word suddenly there. I don't think the disciples knew what they were going to come into that day when they got up that morning. (laughs) Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind or spirit came from heaven. And in the New Testament, that word wind, breath, and spirit is pneuma. And it's the same word for wind, for spirit, for breath. Came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Now, what does that remind you of? I'm going to give you a clue. Something John the Baptist said about the one who was going to come. What did he say? That he's going to baptize you with what? The Spirit and fire. The Spirit and fire. Okay, moving along, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And that word filled really is baptismo, <laughs> to be filled up with, to be drenched in. I had a baptism yesterday, and uh, it was raining all night, Friday night. And uh, we didn't get here to Adam's house till Saturday afternoon because I had this baptism. It was supposed to be in the Missouri River. And it was going to be 45, 50 miles out of Big Sandy toward Judith Landing, it's called. We were going to go down the boat ramp, and this one-year-old, it was his birthday. He was going to get his second birthday. (laughs) And we were going to walk on down the ramp, so I put on sandals and shorts, because I was going to get knee-deep or even waist-deep in the water, It was going to be chilly, (laughs) and he was going to go into the water. Well, I got a phone call about 7 a.m., said it's too muddy out here on our ranch roads and stuff, so we'll come to town and we'll have the baptism at church. So it wasn't quite the same. He wasn't uh, drowned the way I would have liked to have, but we got him wet. Oh, he got wet. I had a big towel handy. (laughs) So we got this little guy wet as could be, drenched, baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. 
What biblical story does that remind you of? Tongues, other tongues. The Tower of Babel. And that was the opposite of Pentecost. That was the flip side of Pentecost because Babel had to do with judgment and the wrath of God as these people were building a tower. You know, in my Sunday school days, they always had this colored picture of a tower that went up into the clouds. Well, that's not exactly what it was. (laughs) It was more than likely a Babylonian ziggurat, which is a pyramid used for astrology. And so what it was, more than likely, was an astrological tower to the skies devoted to the movements of stars and, and, and uh, objects in the sky, and it was in defiance of the Lord. And people were uniting around that, so the Lord brought a judgment upon them that they should speak in different tongues and not be able to understand each other, and it would be chaos, and people would separate. And so it was. This is the flip side of that. The anti-Babel, you could say, that all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Okay, next slide. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And that more than likely included Gentiles too, who were God-fearers. That's the key word there is God-fearing because that's the, the, the catchphrase that Jews used in Jesus' day for Gentiles who were, had become uh, believers in the Lord. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews, okay. Uh, when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each of them heard their own language being spoken. Remember, anti-Babel, people are coming together even though there's all these different languages, but they're hearing the disciples speak in their own language. Utterly amazed, they ask, aren't these all these uh, who are speaking Galileans? It puzzled them, surprised them. What's going on here? Well, that's what the Spirit does. If you look uh, <laughs> at what the Spirit does in people's lives, you just kind of scratch your head and go, well, that's a surprise. Uh, utterly amazed, or then, how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? And here we go. Every time at church I ask somebody to read this lesson for me, so I'm not the only one talking, they have me walk through all this part. <laughs> Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring what? The wonders of God in their own language. Again, anti-Babel. They're all speaking the same thing, the wonders of God. But in their own language, God bringing people together. Let me say a quick word about that, and that is we have more as Christians in common with other Christians all over the world than we do with non-Christians who are neighbors or maybe even family members. Uh, Blood is thicker than water, but I had a professor who used to remind me, faith is thicker than blood. Faith is thicker than blood. And so I love to hear stories about Christians in China or Africa or 
the few that are in Afghanistan or Iraq, uh, hearing about the wonderful deeds of God in their own language, and we have more in common. They are my brothers and sisters and yours as well. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? And Peter, right away, he, he has to say, uh, you know, he has to refute this. They say they've had too much wine. They're just babbling. Well, of course, that doesn't make any sense at all. How are they babbling coherently about um, the wonders of God if they're drunk? And Peter stood and said, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. He takes them by the ears. That's what God does to us. He takes us by the ears. That's the pathway into the heart, by the ears. It's always about the spirit and the word, the spirit and the word, the spirit and the word to get into our hearts. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Well... For some people, that wouldn't be a big thing, a big hindrance. But it would have been for Peter. That's, that's not his drinking hour, apparently. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God said, I will pour out my breath, my wind, my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs in the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, there's an apocalyptic picture that's painted there. An apocalyptic picture means that it's kind of an end times picture. That uh, God will show these kind of celestial signs at the end before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. Which is really great and terrible only if you don't know him. It's great, but not terrible to those who know him who have called on the name of the Lord and are saved. And that's the movement of the Spirit to bring us each and all and everywhere to that place where we call on the name of the Lord that we may be saved. That we call on the name of the Lord that we may be saved. And that we proclaim the wonders of God so that others may call on the name of the Lord that they may be saved. Can we switch to that other scripture? Now that was the Pentecost story. Now I want to read with you the little story at the end of the Gospel of John that really is called, in, by, in some circles, and I kind of call it this, the little Pentecost. There's the great Pentecost story on the day of Pentecost, and this is the little Pentecost story. On the evening of the first day of the week, what's the first day of the week? Sunday. And this was the Sunday, Easter Sunday. This was that Sunday where Jesus was raised from the dead. When the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, this was his first appearance to them. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After this, 
he said, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, what did he do? He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. The uh, little Pentecost, if you will. Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Well, the first thing he said is, I'm sending you, even as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. What did we do with these balloons? We blew them up, and what happened when we let them go? They left us. They were sent. They moved away from us. Again, that's the movement of the Spirit, away from self toward the neighbor, toward our neighbor in need. And it says there, then there's that other verse that's really pretty tricky. It says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now that's kind of tough stuff. But first of all, I want to say that's a word that is given to the church and to be administered very carefully by the church, by the whole church, to proclaim the forgiveness of sins to whom? To contrite sinners, to sinners who know they need forgiveness. And then it says to retain the sins of those, to retain the sins of some. This is called the office of the keys. Again, to be administered very carefully, but generally understood to be those who are hard of heart, who don't know their need for forgiveness, who will not confess their sins, who don't think they need to be forgiven. Guess what? Their sins are retained. I used to do a lot of work with alcoholics. And one of the things I could promise them, I said, you can keep the misery you have if you want. You can keep it. And guess what? It'll get worse. And you can have it all if you want. You can retain it. <laughs> You're welcome to it. If you want deliverance from it, then begin by acknowledging your need for deliverance. I admit that I'm an alcoholic. My life has become unmanageable. And I'm in need of help. That's the first step to redemption, isn't it? And it's a movement that the Spirit of God does in the person. Break through the barriers, break through the walls. As, uh, as is said often in the scriptures, to give you a heart of flesh, not a hard heart, but a heart of flesh that responds to the grace of God, that responds to the grace of God. Now, I said that I was going to come circle back around to the harvest of uh, the first harvest, <laughs> Pentecost. Guess what then? Those disciples that day and those who called on the name of the Lord that day, after Peter preached, this is how Peter's sermon ended up. You've heard it before. He said, after what, where we finish, he, he starts talking about this Jesus of Nazareth whom you crucified, God has raised from the dead. And their response cut to the heart. 
They were cut to the heart by the Holy Spirit. There is no revival in the Spirit without this uh, movement of being cut to the heart and confessing sins. And they said, what must we do to be saved? And he said, believe in the Lord Jesus. Be baptized and you will receive the Holy Spirit. And uh, I think it said 3,000 were converted that day. Or maybe it was five. Anyway, a lot. (laughs) A lot. And I'm always just... uh, in awe. Sometimes I'd like to see this myself, you know. Sometimes in some places of the world where there's kind of a mass baptism, they begin to become Christians and they begin to come in droves and thousands of people are baptized in a day. Oh my gosh. Well, that was this kind of a day, this Pentecost. And guess what it was? It was a first harvest. It was a first harvest. Literally speaking, it was a first harvest. These were the first fruits of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But it was also the giving of the law, the Simchat Torah, because now the law of God is written on their hearts, as Jeremiah said. There's going to be a new covenant where um, people won't need to to say, uh, well, everyone will say, I know God. (laughs) I know God. And the law of God will be written on our hearts internalized. We become vessels of the Holy Spirit to live a holy life, a life dedicated to the Lord. It is a first harvest and it is a Simchat Torah, celebration of the law written on our hearts, Pentecost. I was thinking probably as I was preparing the sermon, the only thing that really hung me up was how to end it. (laughs) And it will end right now. Don't be alarmed. (laughs) I'm not going to go. And then that was the first point. I've got five more. (laughs) Or 15 more. No, we're not going to go there. Uh, But to end it. I would say to end it, let's just pray. Come Holy Spirit, come. Okay? Would you bow your heads please with me? Come, Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name, amen.